welcome back to the Legal Weekly Wine, where we discuss the week's hottest legal topics. And this summer has been on fire with legal topics. We have had all of the Supreme Court decisions coming down. Some of them have been quite complicated. Some of them have been pretty funny, considering the Jack Daniels case. Um, but today, what we want to talk about is we want to reach the overarching matters. We've got a lot of things going on within the states regarding transgender care legislation drag show issues that are happening, especially in the state of Tennessee. And then the hot part, not that that's not hot enough, but we also have some really hot topics that are coming up continuously. And we're finally going to talk about them today of judicial ethics, especially with regard to Alito and Thomas, Justices Alito and Thomas, and then continuing arguments about, I'm going to terribly mess this word up, but the politicization politicization, something like that. There we go. Of the Justice Department um, that both sides are claiming on the political realm. So legally, we're going to get into that, how the legal aspect of it, what the legal aspects are, how each is affected by the legal system, the Constitution, and that sort of thing. And I am Virginia Tarani. I am with Tarani Law LLC, because you never need a lawyer till you do. And we are hosted specifically by the Law and Scripted, which hosts these podcasts, as well as bar preparation, mock trial support, and legal student law student examination help. But we are joined by the illustrious Dr. John Arvile from Middle Tennessee State University. He is the Dean of the Honors College, and he is an expert. He's a scholar of the Constitution, the amending process, constitutional law, um, the Supreme Court, the Founding Fathers, the, I, I mean, the list goes on. Now, I'll include his biography in the description below, but Dr. Vile, thank you for joining us to talk about the 2023 Supreme Court and the hottest issues. Good to be here. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm afraid I talked quite a bit, but but welcome. Thank you for coming back. It's been lovely to have you. Good. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm going to talk a little bit more because it is the Legal Weekly Wine. But um, for those of you who have watched this, you've learned that Dr. Vile is not drinking wine with us. He is drinking his water, which may turn into wine. So cheers. (laughs) Um, But on our side, we're going to try another wine. So this is another one from finewine.com, one of our um, local little stores, wine shops in the Rio in Gaithersburg, Maryland. And um, one of their experts, wine experts, helped me pick this one out as something that I might like that's different than the normal um, Cabernets that I tend to lean towards. So today, we are going to try a Sangiovese. Um, So this is the bottle. It is a Toscana Caparzo. It is an Italian wine, as I understand it. I'll put it in the description if I didn't get it right. Um, But we will show the bottle and have a link for you to find the shop as well as this wine if you're interested in it. And it is a 2020, yes, product of Italy. Here we go. So I'm going to do a quick taste. Cheers, Dr. Vile, to the episode. It's a little bit of a bite. Um. It's smooth, but there's a back bite on it. So maybe the more that I drink, the better it will be. Maybe I'm more of a cab. <laughs> cab drink the person. whole bottle, you won't feel anything. <laughs> right, it'll be lovely. It, it will be. Um, no, so I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not my normal taste. And there does seem to be a bit of a, a sour bite to it. So we'll see what a couple more sips do. But um, it's not bad. It's just not my favorite that I've had. 
So, all right. So let's get into, and where do you want to start? You're the one who. I don't know. I, I don't know why I raised any of these topics. Uh, well, let, yeah, let's start. Hot. Yeah, let, let, yeah, let, let's start with the drag shows. Okay. I've never been to it. one. Uh, so I'm probably the most ignorant person on the planet to talk about them. Uh, but I do have a great story. Which you know oh, already. Please do. Uh, it's embarrassing. Usually, these are the kind of faux pas that my wife makes. Um, right. <laughs> but this was, I was probably two thirds of the way through a class in constitutional law. And I can't remember that you were it teaching. May have been, it may have been Barnes versus Glenn Theater, or it may have been another one. But the issue had to do with whether a state, the degree to which the state could regulate nude dancing. And I got about two thirds of the way through and somebody raised their hand and, I, and he said, Dr. Vile, I think you mean G-strings and pasties, not pastries. <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> the state had tried to regulate nude dancing by requiring uh, at least some minimal coverage. Uh, of pasties. Yes, of pasties. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I, who knows how many minds I corrupted by using the word pastries. Uh, but nonetheless, we got it straightened out before the end. But the actually, visuals are, are fantastic. Yeah, I, mean, I know. <laughs> do you choose which Danish do you choose? It's exactly. In any event, that case is actually, or that series of cases is actually relevant. The court did uphold the right to require this bare minimum, I guess you would say, of coverage. Um, and it did uphold the right for reasonable time, place, and manner restrictions. But it also, and Justice Scalia, by the way, thought this part was nonsense, um, but it did decide that nude dancing was expressive and thus fell under the First Amendment. The freedom uh, of speech. Yeah, freedom of speech and, and often freedom of speech and press are, are generally sort of classed under, well, we know, you know, symbolic speech, for example, uh, burning a draft card, which the court has ruled Congress may legislate against, burning a flag, which they basically Thanks. said you know, you can't do it over a stick of dynamite uh, uh, or in certain circumstances. But if you're burning a flag in protest, no matter how repulsive people might find that to be, it is a form of expression. You're, you're stating that you're opposed to the nation, presumably because of some policy that, that you're opposing. Right. And I think to, to I think that ultimately many of these drag show cases will come down to time, reasonable time, place, and manner restrictions. Um, you know, can you bar them from a public park? Maybe. Mm. Um, you know, and of course, so much of this, you know, could you, now this is trickier, could you bar a parent from bringing a child to a drag show? Mm. I would think maybe not. Oh, interesting. Uh, you, you know, not the decision that I would make. Um, but, and, and again, part of this comes back to an issue, which I think we, we've mentioned in a previous show, 
which is to what degree is are the parents in control? To what degree is the state in control? And who do, you know who determines what is in the best interest of the child? And or or general. I mean, I think many of these. The notion is that they are anywhere in public. You know, could you could you have a drag show in an arena right. where people were carded according to age, or right. you know where? you could be reasonably sure that no child was there unless their parent had brought them and was, was with them. Um, so. And I guess it, it depends on what's, and I, I'm not as familiar with the legislation that's being passed as you are, but to me, it would almost depend on what is happening at the drag shows. Is right. it more of a, a new dancing type of thing, or is it just the fact that it is a show Right. Is, is a particular part of the performance that's being objected to, or is it just because it is drag right. queens that the, right. that it and, is and a performance? You're you're certainly familiar with, with the the Miller test. You know there are many states, including Tennessee, I believe, yeah. have tried to to outlaw drag shows or at least public ones mm-hmm. in the notion on the basis that they're obscene. And they're right. not likely to win on that ground because obscenity. Now, court has said that obscenity is not protected by the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. It's an exception, but it's gone on basically to establish. Typically, they use this, what's known as a three-part uh, Miller test. Uh, you know, does the work taken as a whole appeal? Does it appeal to a prurient or lustful interest? Uh, does it violate contemporary community standards and does it lack all redeeming social political artistic scientific value and many of the you know many of the people who perform in drag shows as i understand it consider themselves to be a performer i mean that they are performers they consider themselves to be artists and are perceived as such by by their audience so you know and are you know many of them and again, I haven't been, so I'm not the best to comment on this, but, you know, many of them are making, I think they are to a degree making a statement which says gender categories are not quite as clear as simply male and female. Right. Uh, there are variations in between. Uh, you don't need to be as uptight about sex. It's, you know, it's it's more a I don't know. Comedic is quite the, the, well, the right. And a lot of them are, though. But, a a lot right. of them are comedic. They're musical in nature. Um, some of them are very sexually explicit. Some of them right. are very sexually suggestive. But how many other comedy shows are? I mean, right. let's let's take a look at you know live comedians, and how how much worse or better are they? Although, again, in in most of those cases, probably the audience is restricted. I mean, am I right? Most comedy shows were not. Not not, usually. They're usually only restricted in terms of alcohol. So if they're in a performance, as I understand it, if they're having a performance at an at a place where alcohol is being sold. Minors can't be there. Right. Then there's restrictions on minors. But. I, I don't know that there's really any more because I mean you see on TV and 
all of these live comedians and, you know, recorded, mostly I'm seeing the recording of the live comedian, but. Although again, many of them are in different hours, typically, right? They're more likely to be after 10 o'clock. Well, that's true. I mean, so there is now, again, it's a different medium, so it's it's not an identical issue. Uh, But, you know, it looks like, uh, again, if, if I had to just looking at the preliminary and I don't think this, I don't think the Supreme Court has gotten to this, but the cases at the state level seem to be indicating you can't you can't just say all drag shows are obscene and outlawed. And, you know, there is a difference between an individual who chooses as an adult to go to such entertainment than there would to displays that are in public. Uh, I mean, we have, to take the most obvious, we have public uh, exposure laws, right? Right. If you parade around nude in the public, you you can be arrested. Uh, I'm not not saying that all drag shows are in the nude, but. Right, right. but that's the thing is usually it has to be nudity. And just because they're um, not, uh, they're clad in less clothing, I don't know a better way to say it. It it doesn't mean that they're indecent, right? Um, because there are a lot of people who can walk around, and you know, as long as you don't, you're not naked, then the indecency laws don't necessarily apply. So I think right. the idea is that states are targeting them as a class of people versus well, a class so that's of sort of, right. That's sort of the equal protection clause. Now that the the other argument is. And it's maybe getting too com- complicated, but, you know, I contribute regularly to our First Amendment encyclopedia at MTSU. Absolutely. And, you know, there there's something called a major principle in First Amendment law called content neutrality, which is if you're going to open the door for legislators and others to criticize drag shows, then you... Those who say, well, I think there's some redeeming social value, uh, then they have at least a right to be heard. And and certainly this could be enhanced, perhaps, by performing. You know, see, this isn't really, you know, this isn't anything to be afraid of. Uh, you know, I pretend to be a woman. I go back to my husband or what, what, I mean, right. what whatever, to, or to my, to my wife or, or, or whatever. Well, and I I guess one of the larger questions or or twofold questions is right now, as I understand it, transgender or gay or any of the other applicable um, terms, they are not protected as a class. They're not in one of the protected classes currently defined in the Constitution. Well, and would they could they be? I think you may be wrong there. Um, Okay. I believe there is a case within the last year or two, which has said that transgender is, in fact, considered a classification based on sex. Okay. Which is. So I need to, if I I had my. I definitely need to look that up. If I had my essential Supreme Court cases that that I can file, I could turn right to it. But I don't have that in front of me. But I I believe. I believe the court has interpreted the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which prohibited discrimination 
on the basis of sex to include transgender. I'm not absolutely positive of that, but I'm fairly sure. And in fact, okay. probably if, if you if you have a way of adding a note to this, we could probably look up the specific case uh, and uh, follow. Okay, it, it, it looks through. like we're close on it. So yes, um, yes and no. It looks like this is 2020. Civil Rights Act protects LGBT employees from workplace discrimination, protects gay and transgender workers from employment okay. discrimination. That, that's that, that. I believe that. What's you had the name of it? Um, I, I'm embarrassed that I don't remember it. But. Oh, goodness. I'm the one who said it wrong completely. Let's see what this one is. Where is the name of it? Again, it's partly statutory interpretation. Right. And it does say prohibits sex discrimination, applies to discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Right. So they have been, and I am trying to figure out where the, the actual case name is. And I apologize. So they, so what it seems like is I am not up to date that they have been considered as a protected class. Well, again, you know, even sex is not quite as protected as races. Right. It's the second tier, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, strictest scrutiny, maybe not, but probably intermediate scrutiny, particularly for sex and gender. And probably that's where this would fall. So there, there is some court protection for it. Um, I, it I looks think, like it was to Bostick versus Clayton County, yes. Georgia, and Altitude yes. Expressing versus Zarda. Yeah, Bostick is the one that's usually the. I think that was the lead case of the two. Okay. Um, Sorry on that. Well, I should have known better if my, I'm talking I'm about sure it. My 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 ignorance here too. Okay, so so we're thinking in the terms of classifications for people who don't know, there are different reviews depending on what type of class it is. So if it's race, it's strict Strict scrutiny. Right. And gender and sex generally requires what's called a compelling interest. Uh, Yeah, right. to, to, To discriminate against race. You'd have to have a very, very compelling reason. And, and maybe we saw an example of that in, in one of our earlier broadcasts where we talked about the Native American adoption. That's uh, what I'm wondering. You, you know, strict scrutiny, strict scrutiny would suggest, you know, typically you would say, well, you didn't consider race, or at least it wouldn't be predominant. But when it comes to Native Americans and tribal identity, Particularly given the past history, it might be that you that, that it would that it would you, you could make a strict scrutiny argument and still uphold uh, giving the preference to other Native Americans. Mm-hmm. But you have that, then you have intermediate scrutiny, which I think you were getting to. Right, and that is where where you're saying it it, it is a protected class, or sex and and gender are protected classes, but they fall under the intermediate scrutiny. And what is the the burden there of proof well it's more than if we go to the third one it's sort of a rational basis Mm -hmm. and that's most typically used it's sort of developed after the the 
1937, the switch in time that saved nine, where okay. the court had been previously uh, striking down a lot of economic legislation, and it decided uh, no, uh, as long as as long as uh, they give a rational, you know, something that you wouldn't laugh out loud at, uh, we're not going. We're not. We're not going to examine them with the same degree of scrutiny. The intermediate scrutiny. That there's some magic words that just escape me right at the moment. Uh, yeah, I, but I but, can't remember yeah, them either. Some, some, somewhere, point. somewhere in between. But in, you okay. know, any I would say right now, and if you go back, this isn't new. If you go back to the ERA adoption, okay. One of the reasons that it was stymied. They got up to 35 out of 38 states. And tell everybody what that is. I'm sorry. The ERA right, adoption. ERA, tell right, everybody the equal what rights that is. Amendment. Right. The proposed mm-hmm. equal rights amendment uh, almost got ratified. And then Phyllis Shafley, among others, a, a very conservative uh, layperson, uh, began raising questions largely dealing with bathroom and bathroom issues, you know, what is this, you know, does this, does this mean that uh, men, men could use women's bathroom and vice versa? And, and the, the trans seems to be the, the issue du jour mm-hmm. where, you know, for most of us, I mean, frankly, I, I don't, I know maybe I know more, of trans people than I'm actually know in person. Right. Uh, but I think for many people, it, you know, anything that tears down, you know, this long-standing distinction between male and female uh, seems scary. And so. And yeah, it does scare a lot of people. It, they it they don't know and, what to do with that. You know, and, and in fairness, there's probably, you know, with, if you think about it, would anyone wish, you know, would anybody say, I'd like to join the other, you know, I'd like to switch sexes just because I'd like to do it? Uh, you know, and if a lot of people did that, I guess, you know, we could be in trouble if you had, you know, it'd be hard to repopulate the earth, that sort of thing. Of course. But, you know, what we're dealing with, as I understand it, is maybe one in a hundred people. I think the correct term, psychological term, is gender dysphoria. People who apparently from an early age uh, say, you know, I may have male anatomy, but I feel like a female or vice versa. Right. And a lot of the questions, so, you know, those, you know, if, if you think this is the beginning of a tsunami, I mean, then for one thing, it's very expensive. You know, this requires years of hormonal therapy often right. requires surgery requires transitioning you know to your to, to friends and people who know you your employers um it's, it's not something that i would go into happily it, or or no i mean it's and, and, and you would think i mean you would think a typical parent mm-hmm. uh, you know if some if if you had come to me as a child and said, I really feel like a boy, I'd probably have shrugged my shoulders and say, well, of course you do. You like the outdoors. So do boys. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, or vice versa. If I had a son who said, I like to play with dolls, I might have thought a little odd, but I'd probably say, okay, uh, you know, do it. Uh, that doesn't right. mean 
you're a girl just because you want to play with dolls. But I think for many people, the notion that, you know, people could be switching. And and again, the stakes are high. Yeah. I mean, either way, I mean, they're apparently, you know, a lot of people who have, if I'm using the right term, dysphoria, gender dysphoria, you know, they are apparently more suicidal, more depressed. Um, well, what a hard place to be. Like yeah, I mean, said, it would be a very to difficult tell everybody place to, be. to eat. Right. It's not I mean, easy. Well, it's something I wouldn't go into lightly. Well, I mean, it's, it's not dissimilar. Because. I mean, there are parallels between, you know, families that reject children who are gay. Uh, but that doesn't usually involve, you know, actually changing their, you know, changing the shape of right. their bodies. So this this, I think, seems even more, you know, threatening uh, to a lot of people. And I. You know, I really don't know. And, and then let me add to this is added some what I guess are fairly rare cases, but are fairly striking cases of someone who is in the process of changing genders who then switches sports teams. Um, right. And I think that's you know, one of the bigger cries right now. You know, to to the extent that one, you know, if if you look back, much of the progress since 1964 has not only been in racial equality, but it's also been in gender equality. Mm-hmm. And if all of a sudden, you know, now it's hard for me to believe that many many men are going to become women just in order to compete against women right. and beat them. Uh, but right, you I mean, would I hope think not. Right. I mean, there would certainly still be a legitimate question. Do you have an unfair advantage because you had, you know, 15 years of testosterone uh, while the other the other opponents had estrogen? I, and, you know, so there are some there, there's some, you know, and there are issues going back to, you know, what I think was largely the red herring of the, of the ERA, the women's bathroom. There would be genuine concerns about. You know, if you have you have a daughter who's exposed to someone, you know, in the shower with male body parts, of course, who's trans, then they not, you know, that would be embarrassing. I think for many people, uh, for, you know, particularly the younger they were. So th- there are some genuine issues here, but part of the question with trans, you know, what's happening now is a lot of states, including Tennessee and Florida, you know, Governor DeSantis has gotten a lot of mileage out of this, right. uh, trying to ban what's known as gender affirming care. Uh, that's a loaded term. Uh, right. It, 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 as almost every term that's used in this area is. But, you know, he basically says, this is a decision that's so consequential that it shouldn't be made until someone is an adult. Mm-hmm. The problem is, as I understand it, for some people, the, the transitioning into, you know, from child to adult which is already fairly traumatic for many of us becomes even more so exactly you know in in these cases and so it's a little bit like the abortion issue you know is it a matter for the state or is it a matter in this case generally i would say you know rather than a woman and her doctor it would be is it a matter for parents. the parents and the child and the doctor to decide and you know, even that is, you know, I'm making it easy because what if there's, in fact, a conflict between what the child wants and what the parents think are best? Right. And, you know, they may be as motivated 
I mean, hope you, you would hope that they would also that they would care a lot about the their the the welfare of their child, but of they course. might also be concerned about what other you know what do people at church think, what are people mm-hmm. at work going to think. Uh, I'm you know I must be a bad parent if you know if I didn't model what a man is, you know, and my son wants to become a daughter, then, you know, maybe that's on me. So right. it's, it, it's, it's a question of themselves. Us. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a highly political issue. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I mean, I it's got to get to the court at some point between the, the drag cases, as well as the transgender care, it's going up. It's just a question of when. Yeah. And, and Again, I don't know what would happen if you, you know, if you just left this to parents and children and doctors to decide, might we be better off? You know, yeah. you, 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 I mean, you have plenty of people on both, not plenty of people. I think there's literally like one out of 100 who generally has this. And, you know, of those, I'm sure probably many of them say, well, I, I may be, un- you know, I may be uncomfortable with the sex I have, but it's a lot easier than going through surgery and having to explain to people, I'm just going to live with it. Um, And and I mean, I think the the question in this is the state interest, right? What is the state interest in protecting these children? And is it a question many states would say, well, our interest is protecting them against this. Whereas other states would say, well, our interest is protecting them to have this option. So I think there's a split as to what is the interest of the child by the state and and would that go against the parents? Right. There are also degrees here. I mean, as I understand it, some of the treatments are basically puberty blockers, which don't initially change one's gender, but simply avoid the transition to puberty a little bit yes. longer for people to straighten, you know, in their own mind to figure out what, you know, where, where they are right. as opposed to, you know, fairly radical surgery. And you do, you know, there are cases that I have read testimonies, if you will, of people who say, well, you know, I thought I would be happier as a, as a man and lo and behold, you know, men have problems too, or, or vice right. versa. Well, and but then there's the the case of Elliot Page, who's extraordinarily happy with his transition. All right, so the the next topic we want to hit, and and I know we're going to be watching over the next year about the transgender issues, the drag shows. We'll try to keep the the Legal Weekly Wine updated as well. Um, but thanks for bringing that topic into the Legal Weekly Wine. I know a lot of people are are really interested in it as they are also interested in the legal ethics issues going on in the Supreme Court. What is happening? Well, you know, generally, and I think this repeats a little bit of what we said earlier, but, you know, there's a charge right now that the Justice Department has been weaponized. And, you know, Republicans are saying you know, it's not fair that Hunter Biden apparently is going to have a plea deal, uh, whereas Trump is being or, you know, Biden and Pence, of course, Pence is a Republican, but right. Biden doesn't doesn't appear as though he's going to be prosecuted for having uh, top secret materials, whereas the they're going, you know, full, uh, full circuit against Trump. And. You know, we we saw this with the the recent 
attempt only the I think it's only the third time in this century that or in the last hundred years that Congress has censored one of its members. And what you know, what are they censoring for? You know, not for, you know, having sex with a page or the the typical things that one, you know, one might right. think of, but for, you know, holding up, you know, trying to conduct an impeachment against the president. Uh, and of course, Republicans think that uh you know the the two impeachments of Trump were unfair, uh, and so what do they do? They decide some at least that you know yeah let's try let's try to impeach Biden. Uh, so there's there's a lot of distrust right now, and and a lot of it is you know some of it some of the people know better, and they're just simply you know. But I think the public is genuinely, the system. genuinely confused. The, the 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 great sort of irony here is that for for generations, particularly the Republican Party, it was always you know the the party of law and order, and it was mm-hmm. you know they were the ones you know even even if the FBI sometimes tapped your phone or you, you know did something that was a little unseemly, you know they're they're fighting against communism. We're for them. And now, you know, you expect a little bit of conflict between the branches, but right. it's generally between the executive and the legis- and the legislative branch. And now what we have is we have, you know, a lot of members, and actually it's, you know, it's from both parties. Um, we're, take this example, you know, the, the judge right now, the district judge, I guess, who's Overseeing the Trump uh, down in Florida, the, right? The, the the Trump charges. Um, you know, there are a lot of a lot of Democrats who are saying, "Well, she can't possibly be fair. Uh, she's a Trump appointee." Now, they also have a court case that they can point to where she was overruled uh, rather authoritatively, which <laughs> suggests that she might be a little bit out of the mainstream. But you know, Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts. To his credit, and I don't think anybody believed him, but, you know, what he said is that we don't have Republican and Democratic judges. We have U.S. judges, you know. That's once what it's supposed the, to be. Right. I mean, the, the, the robe is supposed to mean something. And, you know, it, it becomes increasingly hard not to consider partisan considerations because, most recent appointments have been very partisan in nature. I mean, yes, you know, Trump Trump basically said, I'm going to appoint, you know, for many years, Republicans and Democrats both said there's not going to be a litmus test. But frankly, Democrats often have used, you know, we're only going to appoint pro-choice judges. And Republicans have responded, well, we're only going to appoint uh, pro-life. And then it's hard to say, well, you know, they went through this confirmation and someone may prompt, you know, in the case of in the case of abortion, a number right. of these justices had said we're going to follow precedent. Now, in fairness, they can say, well, we did. We followed the precedents prior to Grove versus Wade. Right. The original precedents is the right. idea. Well, and, and they were more that wasn't so much the Supreme Court deciding it as the Supreme Court leaving it to the states. Right. But you know. We're going to be in trouble if, 
if people believe that most judgments are made not on the basis of the law or the Constitution, but simply on the basis of party identification. So it's it, it, it it's a real problem that we have right now. Well, and even with the party on top of forget the political parties, now we've also got the ethical issues regarding use of monies and gifts and declarations of these. I I know more about Thomas, but what is coming out about Alito now? Well, Thomas, of course, is is accused of, I mean, he's in, he has a friend and people have friends, right? Absolutely. Uh, You don't, you don't expect them to give that up, but you know, Friends sometimes use friends. Friends sometimes establish friendships in order to gain leverage. And in his case, apparently one one single vacation that he took uh, to Indonesia, you know, involved a yacht. If you, oh my if goodness, you hundreds of in, thousands of dollars. Yeah, I think it, I think they estimated as much as five hundred. You know, and <laughs> that there were private plane trips from the yacht to different locations. Alito seems to be a little less pervasive, but apparently, well, but maybe it's consequential because the the allegation is that, which I don't think he's denied, that he took a, he had a very nice fishing trip sponsored by a billionaire to Alaska uh, that I think they estimate would be maybe $100,000 if he had had to rent his own private plane to get there and whatever. Um, and. What's a little more troubling, if true, is that the person who sponsored that trip has, in fact, had a number of cases. Now, they're not under his name, but they involve businesses that he owned or was associated with. And, you know, one of the things that you learn, or I hope you learn, I don't know as much for attorneys as it is for judges, but the standard rule for judicial ethics is. You not only avoid, you know, I, it, let's back up a minute. Mm-hmm. I doubt seriously that, that George Soros could take Thomas on a trip that would change his mind on any issues. He does seem pretty set. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't so, seem to be a surprise. You know, because where because you're associating with people of your own persuasion doesn't mean that they that you're voting for their interests because because they've given you a gift. But the traditional rule has been understanding is judges avoid not only evil, but they avoid the appearance of evil. The appearance this, of impropriety. Right. The, that's right. Got and, to avoid and this, it. And this becomes what is tricky in this case is Apparently, neither justice has complete, either the rules aren't clear or the common, they have not followed the common understanding of registering that they have accepted the gifts. And usually cover up is a sign or is taken as an indication, you know, if you, if you didn't have anything to hide, why have you, you know, why have why you, why would you not declare it? Yeah. And, so- and, what rules do apply as far as the gifting? What are they bound under in order well, to disclose? And, and here Is it I, IRS precedent? To tell you the truth, I, I don't know that I that I have. I I think what's happening is 
I think there has been sort of an informal understanding mm. of what, you know, that the, my understanding is the court has largely set rules for itself. Well, clearly what's going to happen, uh, speak now as a political scientist rather than a lawyer, yeah. is if you don't police your own house, somebody else is going to come in. And, you know, They'll we do it for we, you. I mean, we have this with this tragic case. And it sounds like, you know, this submerged vehicle that's visiting the Titanic. It sounds like as of the day that I'm speaking that, you know, that, that it probably imploded and everybody is dead. But as I understand it, it was in international waters. And if it were a submarine, there would be rules to govern. You know, if, if it were this or that, the Navy would have control. But but it's not. And if you have, you know, if they've in fact died, even if they haven't, if they weren't able to, you know, to see them for so have communication, then some entity is likely to step in and say, you know, we're going to we're going to establish some rules here to protect. And this is why, you know, I I really I have a a fair amount of respect for for Chief Justice Roberts, I think. He has really tried, you know, when he when he ran when, when he was being confirmed, his ideal, which is maybe everybody's ideal and perhaps unrealistic, but was, you know, we we are here to umpire. We're not we're here to call the balls and the strikes. We're not here to run the bases or to or to pitch the well, ball. I think that's the whole idea of the Supreme Court and that everyone's supposed to have is that they're right. not that's, the legislative that's the idea. body. And of all judges, and I think you know, even it, it. And again, I would give a little bit of caution. You know, it's it's like campaign campaign money. You can't say necessarily that because somebody took a million dollars from the from what it named the organization or the person that they're going to be beholden to them, right? Because often what happens is, you know, if you're if you're pro gun rights then the NRA is going to give you money. Uh, If you're, you know, pro-life, then you're going to get pro-life groups are going to give you money. And, and, you know, you Democrat, you're going to get money from Democrats. Uh, And of course, a lot, a a lot of businesses do know to hedge their bets and they give to both sides. (laughs) Right. Well, you can't just, yeah. I think the other question is of recusal is with that appearance of impropriety is okay. Well, maybe it was fine for me to do that, but let me step out of this case that involves an interest that they're in so that well, it doesn't course, appear that I'm biased. Right. And, and of course, again, Alito is saying this man's name never appeared. And maybe, that you, you know. know, maybe, you know, a lot of people don't discuss politics when they fish, right? They fish. That's they're right. going fishing so they don't have to talk about it. So, you, you know, <laughs> and hopefully the justices don't. I mean, the idea is that they don't go around talking about politics because of well, their justice. Thomas talks to his wife. I, I don't know what they talk about if they don't talk us. about politics because she's very, you know, very actively engaged. Very and some, political. Some of the other justices are too. But well, it, and that's know, the other part of the ethics is how much bleed over do spouses have? And right. is he is her portion, is her position, are her views supposed to be attributed to him 
because they're a married couple? Is there any way to fully divide? Well, and, their and there's sort of, sort of women's rights actually sort of works on his behalf, right? Yeah. Uh, he's, he's not necessarily responsible for her views, may not even share them. I mean, I she would is assume. her own woman. Yeah. Um, so it's, I mean, it's, it's kind so of public. Like most, most a- aspects of the law. <laughs> it's very complicated. <laughs> It is. Oh, goodness. Well, I really appreciate you talking about all of these issues that in, in this little special session that is truly hot topics, but continuing hot topics as we yes. go through the Supreme Court um, year of 2023. Is that the best way to say it? 22, well, it's actually the 22 session, which goes into 23. Well, is, and that is interesting. Yeah. I forget that, that it technically yeah. is the cases from 2022. And, and I guess all your readers know this, right? But, you know, there's nothing much more accessible than Supreme Court. To, I mean, mm. if you have a copy machine or you don't mind reading online, uh, you go to, you know, just type in U.S. Supreme Court and they'll get you to the site. And yeah. then you go to opinions and they, they list them, you know, the most recent. And you can just, you know, that's what I almost every day during the season you know, open up, see if there are any new decisions and at least try to scan them and get a view. So, you know, it, it is the, they used to say the beauty of the Supreme Court was they were the only people who did their own work mm. and that they they have to give reasons for their decisions. And that's right. that's why they that's why court opinions appeal so much to scholars. But interestingly, I have found something that's comparable that most most scholars have not delved into which is the Constitution requires that when a president vetoes a law, they have to give reasons for their veto. Mm. And so I have, oh, I'm hoping to sell a book on this. I have it written and just waiting, nice. waiting for somebody. But one of, the things it up. <laughs> one of the things that fascinated me about it is the way that we always we always attribute rationality to the court. You know, they have to they have to pro or con. They have to give you a decision and they right. have to explain it. But presidents do the same thing when they do vetoes. Mm. And often, by the way, particularly when it comes to private bills, which are rarely used anymore, they use the same language. Right. Equal protection. We got to treat we got to treat this equally. This is fair. This mm. is due process or not. And so the, it's a it's a whole area where, you know, someday I think there may be case books of presidential vetoes. Interesting. Uh, I would be the obvious person to write, to, to write it, but in, in any of are. Uh, <laughs> Well, we somebody go. pick it up because it's extremely interesting. And thank you for being here. Thank you for well, walking through the season with us and providing your expertise, your humor, your interesting um, facts and your opinions. Thanks. Thank you. All right, everybody, we will catch you on the next Legal Weekly Wine. We hope you grabbed your own glass of wine and had a wonderful happy hour with us on the second season of the Legal Weekly Wine.